Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. What do we do with our guilt? Holly Hendricks felt so strongly about this poem, she sent it to me twice last week. What do you do with your guilt? Here is Brad Sachs, a boy in a bed in the dark. Born with a cleft palate, my two-year-old brother, recovering from yet another surgery, toddled into our bedroom, toppled a tower of blocks that I had patiently built. And in a five-year-old's fury, I grabbed a fallen block and winged it at him, ripping open his carefully reconstructed lip. The next hours were gruesomely compressed, ending with a boy in a bed in the dark, mute with fear, staring out into the hallway with horror as the pediatrician went in and out of the bathroom with one vast blood-soaked towel after another, shaking his head worriedly. My brother's howls and my parents' cooed comfort became the soundtrack to this milky movie that plays in my darkest theater, the one that I sidle past each night with a shudder and a throb in my fist. What do we do with our guilt? In each of three congregations I have served, there are are adults who as children were involved in accidents that resulted in the death of a sibling. Actually, involved is not quite right. I should say they were proximate to their siblings' deaths. They were not to blame. A child cannot be blamed. Yet each of them has borne the trauma to this very moment, each in their own way trying to live with a burden like a stone tied to their soul. Perhaps you know this kind of haunting guilt or something like it. I think my sister Lisa was six and I was 10 when we were left alone at an amusement park. We were ecstatic. I took her into the haunted house to see her reflection in the funny mirrors. The floor tilted wildly. We were very, very fat and then very, very skinny and laughing as she lost her balance and fell against a handrail. A huge, terrible splinter was driven deep into her tiny hand. 
When we got to the clinic, they took her from me into a back room. My brave little sister was often very sick as a child and never cried. But from the lobby, I heard her scream as the Novocaine went in. Forty years later, I can still hear it. I can still feel the wave of guilt wash over me, drown me. I know it wasn't my fault, but it was all my fault. One of the assignments I've given to people who suffer this kind of trauma is to go to a playground and look for the children who are the same age they were when the accident happened. I ask them to come back and tell me if they think the five-year-olds or the 10-year-olds, for example, should be held accountable for the crime with which they have charged themselves. The answer is always no. That is no for every other five-year-old or every other 10-year-old. But for them, for us, somehow, yes. Perversely, yes. By my lights, this kind of guilt the guilt I share with the voice of the poet and with my three parishioners, this guilt and lack of forgiveness and trauma is completely without value to us or to anyone else except that it makes us compassionate towards others who feel it too. Though I am in the business of confession, amends, reparation, forgiveness, and redemption, I'm not sure how to unravel guilt. Telling seems to help a little. Being told to go and move on does not. And so I wonder if what's really going on is that we would prefer to own these accidents with guilt instead of facing them for what they really were. They really are accidents. If we could accept that accidents happen, it would mean that the world is a random, potentially life-threatening or murderous place. It would mean that at any given moment, our lives could be divided between before and after. It would mean we would have to accept that we are not always in charge and that there are people, places, and things that are out of our control. Maybe we would rather be guilty than afraid. The current issue of Outside Magazine ran a story by Tim Zimmerman called Hell in High Water, trying to make sense of a wilderness accident that killed six boys and four men in Southern California's Sespe Wilderness. Outside periodically runs these stories in an attempt to get its readers to learn from others' fatal mistakes. What struck me about the Sespe tragedy, though, is that it happened 39 years ago. And for everyone interviewed, it might as well have happened last month. 
Zimmerman writes, what's the half-life of a tragedy in the wild? In the case of the Sespe flood, I discover the pain still runs hot through the lives of everyone involved. All these years later, the voices are of grief and rage, unhealed by the passage of time. On a weekend forecast for beautiful weather, 16 inches of rain swelled the creek by as much as 14 feet. Mix in one spectacularly bad decision, and it was a recipe for disaster. In fact, Robert Samples, the 42-year-old trip leader, got the kids, ages 11 to 14, well away from the raging stream. They made it safely to high ground. They met a man named Scott Eckersley who helped them break into a cabin where they holed up burning wooden chairs to keep cozy, eating stew made from some quail samples had shot and warming to their outdoor adventure. After dark, rescuers from the sheriff's department and the forest service showed up. Robert Samples wanted to keep the kids safe and sound in the cabin. The rescuers insisted that their parents were waiting. That was the moment it all went to death. Hiking out, all but one were swept away in the raging current. Only Eckersley lived to tell the story. Scott Eckersley was 28-year-old teacher and outdoorsman. Now 67, he bears a burden of unremitting guilt. For the past 15 years, he has been largely homebound by an autoimmune wasting disease with no known cause. When Tim Zimmerman arrived to interview him, he looks exhausted. He doesn't know how he survived or why. He was holding two boys midstream. Both were ripped from him. If I'd only been stronger, he says. One mother says, if only they had left them alone in the cabin. They killed my kids. It eats at you. One older brother still has a very hard time talking about the accident, but explains how it blew his tight-knit family apart. We all just kind of went, this could happen at any minute. It was devastating, absolutely devastating. He struggled for years with rage and alcoholism until he finally received the grief counseling he needed. It was a mistake. It was a monstrous, tragic mistake that cannot be undone. And as unacceptable as the mistake was, it is only in accepting the finality of that mistake that will bring any peace. Steve Larson was two years old when his father, the deputy sheriff, died in the attempted rescue. Writer Tim Zimmerman brought him out to the Sespe. Steve Larson has always wondered whether his father had been a hero or responsible for the deaths of six boys. Retracing his father's tragic march to the final crossing, he knows now that his father was a decent man who made a terrible yet honest mistake. Preoccupied with completing his mission 
and unaware that he was in the midst of the heaviest rains ever to fall in that area. Dulled by cold and exhaustion, he simply failed to comprehend the brutal, unholy potential of the flash flood that would result. My spiritual companions, until we take life on life's terms and death on death's terms, and until the past is given its rightful place in the past, it will be dragged toxic into every moment of the present, the crippling burden of guilt. The only remedy is acceptance and a heart attuned to freedom and to love. Perhaps in the spirit of freedom and love, we will talk about our mistakes and our shared stories will spare someone else the agony in their wake. Perhaps in the spirit of freedom and love, we will create a legacy for those we have loved and lost, and in that way, deepen the meaning of their life, even when we cannot do justice to their suffering or death. Life is a mystery. Death is a mystery. If we are very lucky, we will make something of what lies in between. Let us help one another. Amen.